Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, as you just saw, we're in, the, uh, we're in the midst of the series called Playlist. It's a study in the Psalms. And uh, in Psalm 86, the writer says this, Lord, all the nations you've made will come before you. They will bring glory to your name, for you alone are God. And, you know, the underlying message of that psalm is that uh, God is the God of all nations, of all nations that he created. And that someday, people from every nation and tribe, language and culture will come before him uh, as his people, as the church, and we will worship together in peace. Well, sometimes that's hard to imagine, right, because of... Uh, there are so many nations in conflict in our world today, um, and none perhaps as well known as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, our guest this morning is Daoud Nassar, and he and his family live in Bethlehem in the occupied West Bank. Uh, he's a Palestinian farmer. He's also director of the Tent of Nations Project, which is an educational and environmentally conscious farm that seeks to build bridges between people and people and the land. And uh, I've had the opportunity to visit the farm and, and be with Daoud twice. Uh, now we were just there in February, and uh, I, have, uh, I just have this deep respect for he and his family and their desire to live as peacemakers in a hostile environment where, where that's not uh, an easy thing to do. And I just love this one sign that's on the property. It says, fight violence with love. And that's, that's what Jesus did, and that's certainly what Daoud and his family are trying to do. Uh, walk in the way of Jesus. So I'm excited that he's, that he's here, and we've asked Daoud to come share some of his story with us, as well as you know how some, the ideas of Psalm uh, 86 fit into that context, the God of all nations. So would you welcome Daoud Nassar. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for... Um, for us to be with you, and thank you for allowing us to be and to worship with you this morning, and also to be able to tell our story um, about our journey um, in a land that is full of conflicts and problems and troubles. Um, it's wonderful that God is not a tribal God. God is God for all nations. And we are loved by God as we are. We don't need to do that much. God is looking for us, and he is with us. My name is Dawood, which is David in Arabic, and I was born in Bethlehem in a Palestinian Christian family, grew up there, and finished my school in 1989, went to Austria, where I visited a Bible school, and um, came back in 1991, and I studied also in Bethlehem at the university, and also in Germany, I continued my studies with tourism. And of course, I always say tourism is important for the Holy Land. Many people are coming to see this country, and to experience, and to see the places where Jesus walked. Um, to go to Jerusalem and walk from Mount of Olives into the old city. So it is a life experience for people to see the places. As a Palestinian, I am not able to visit my own land because I need a permit to go to Jerusalem. So it is easier for a, 
a, a tourist to come and visit than myself going and visiting my own land. I always say, even it is very difficult to live in that situation, but we feel that God is with us and he is also blessing the work we are doing. And sometimes we feel that we are alone in our struggle there, but we never alone. Since, 19, since 1991, we are going on and on with a legal battle with the Israeli authorities. They want to confiscate our farm and build a settlement. And this farm is located southwest of Bethlehem. It was bought by my grandfather in 1916 during the Ottomans. The Ottomans ruled Palestine for more than 400 years. And then the British, the Jordanians, and the Israelis. But always the land of Palestine was with conflicts. Foreign powers controlled that area. And if we go back to the biblical history, we know that the Assyrians were there, then the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, one power after the other. But the people who stayed there continued to be witnesses, even after the time of Jesus. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was telling them, you, small minority, you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem. And we as Palestinian Christians that are still remaining there, those words are talking to us today. We are his witnesses. Even in a very difficult political situation, we are his witnesses. Because we are not alone. He is with us. So back to our story. Um, when my grandfather bought the land in 1916, he registered it, so we got papers from the Ottomans, English, Jordanians, and Israelis. He also lived on a farm in a cave. He was also a spiritual man. He decided to move his family, and he went with them and stayed. They found a new existence on the land in a cave. And this is where my father and uncle grew up, like the first Christians in Jerusalem after Jesus left them, they were also were afraid before taking the responsibility and to bring his message of faith and love to the whole world. They also met each other in caves at that time. So this is where my father and uncle grew up, in a cave, and they continued the message of their father and mother and also, they continued on the same vision. And they stayed there, working the land, living in the cave until they passed away. And we as children and grandchildren, we grew up also with the same connection to the land. You know. Of course, it's something special for us to be, to grow up on the land where Jesus was born, crucified, and went to heaven. So every, sometimes I feel like every stone there has a story to tell. Every stone has a story to tell. And we grew up with the same tradition, respecting the land. The situation was changed for us in 1991. The Israeli authorities declared our farm as state land. The idea is like to confiscate it and build a settlement. 
we said this is our private property. We have our history there. So we went to the court, to the military court, to prove ownership. And we are still struggling until today in the Israeli courts, still in this very dark tunnel, but we still believe in justice. 26 years, we are in court. But the positive outcome is that we are still there and we did not lose any part of this 100 acres farm. We had also difficulties from settlers, Israeli settlers who came and attacked us, cutting our trees, but we remained there. We did not give up. Even the trees that were destroyed, 2002, and a big destruction that happened in 2014, we remained there. We cultivated the ground again, and we planted new trees, and many people came and helped in planting new trees. This is the sign of hope. You know, whenever we feel down, we think about the positives and we plant a tree. And the tree is a sign of hope for peace and justice. We are now becoming more isolated there. The, the location of the farm is surrounded by settlements. The main access road to the property is closed. Um, we have restrictions there. We might not be able very soon to go six miles from and to Bethlehem because of the wall. We are not allowed to build anything on the farm. Even we have demolition orders for tents. We have no access to running water and no electricity. So it is more difficult to develop the farm and even develop agriculture, farming, if you have no water and resources. Now, this is the situation that many people in our area face, unjust situation. And I always say, when people live under difficult political reality, when they have no hope for the future, or no future perspectives, wherever they are, they react with three normal options or reactions. The first normal reaction is violence. When people live in violence, they might react with violence. But we raise this question, what can people achieve with violence except more violence? That's why we said from the beginning, this is not our path. Then we came to the second normal reaction, which is to accept this unjust situation and waiting for a political messiah to come for salvation. You remember even the disciples of Christ at that time, they thought Jesus was the political Messiah. And when Jesus was crucified, even his disciples were, were confused. Is this the one to return the kingdom? But of course, Jesus' kingdom was not from the earth. You know. So the disciples of Christ realized that Jesus was talking about something totally different. You know. And of course, like at that time, people were resigning, sitting down and waiting for the salvation to come from outside. But at that time, also Jesus explained to them the salvation comes from within. 
So don't sit down. Don't cry and don't become a victim. It is your role to act. It is your role to bring this message of hope and salvation to other people. So the same story. We said we don't want to sit down and cry and become victims. We want to break those chains of frustration we are in and move out and stand up, be empowered, you know, and keep going. So we were left with the last option. If you don't want to sit down and cry, what is the other option is to run away. I always say when if people are not willing to face their challenges and we are facing challenges wherever. If you don't want to face our challenges with the first option, which is the negative reaction, and if you don't want to, fa to accept those difficult situations or challenges as they are, maybe a way is to run away from them. And it could be a solution, but then we will believe that we are defeated by those challenges. No, we can make a difference. We can stand up and do something. And that's why we said from the beginning, those three options are not good for us. We are against violence, against resignation, and against giving up and leaving. We started to believe there must be another way of resistance. And it is clear for us, the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, it is very difficult for us there to read the Sermon on the Mount. There are many challenges there. But we said there must be another way, and this is Jesus' way, is to handle the situation in a non-violent, in a creative way. But before walking on that path, we had to fix ourselves. We had to believe in what we are doing. And that's why we had to say four important things which are easy said, but difficult to practice there. The first thing we said, we refuse to be victims. Although some might think we have the right to be victims in that situation. What can we do? It is hard, it's difficult, and we can spend hours talking about the challenges and the negative issues that are happening there. But I will sink in my frustration. I will become more victim more victim. I have this feeling as a victim. And I might frustrate you. And we will go back home frustrated and believing there is nothing that can be done. No, there are a lot that we can do. And refusing to be a victim, important for us in order to be empowered and to stand up and to act in a different way, to act in a positive way. The, first, the, th the second thing we said, we refuse to hate. And no one can force us to hate. Refusing to hate is important, important for us. Because with hatred, people will achieve more hatred, will achieve more enemies, will create more bitterness. But refusing to hate, we want to see the positives out of the human being. We believe that in every human being, there is the good and the bad. And people are, all people are created in the image of God, and they are not created to hate each other. So refusing to hate was important for us 
to stand up and act differently. The third thing we said, we refuse, after we refuse to hate, it's not because we are good people. It's because of our faith. Our Christian faith is the center of our way of nonviolent resistance. This is what I call the fourth way that Jesus spoke about that way. We are acting differently because of our faith. And fourthly, we are called to work for justice and to believe in justice. And we believe that one day the sun of justice will rise again. So after we said that, we walked on a different path and we created another way of resistance. We created a nonviolent, a creative, a constructive way. And our slogan is, we refuse to be enemies. Of course, it's easy said, difficult to practice. But refusing to be an enemy is not a passive way of action. It is an active way. It is important for us to act, not waiting for others to act on our behalf. And you are taking this as an initiative. It's not to wait for the other to tell you that. You take the initiative. You stand up and say, I refuse to be an enemy. And under that slogan, we created the Tent of Nations on the farm. The farm is located between Bethlehem and Hebron. And the Tent of Nations is the name we've chosen because Hebron was a place where Abraham lived. And Abraham trusted God and he came all the way from Ur to the Holy Land. Even he lost everything there and he came with nothing. But God blessed him. And since Abraham was the father of all nations, we created the tent for all nations. Because Abraham had a tent and he used to, to accommodate his guests under the shade of his tent. So more nations under one tent. And with the tent of nations, we wanted to invest the frustration we have positively. Because when people get frustrated, they become angry. And when they become angry, they react negatively. With the Tent of Nations, we want to invest this frustration in a positive way. We wanted also to open the farm for people to come and see, to let them go and tell. And our farm is open for people from different backgrounds, religions, to come and see and go back home motivated and be peacemakers in their own communities. And then we started also with the, our way of resistance there to see all our problems as very small obstacles. So no electricity on the farm. We became environmental, more taking care of the environment. We installed a solar power system. No running water. We depend on rainwater. No building on the ground. We started building under the ground, renovating caves. We recycle the gray water to be used for irrigation. We want to, to produce biogas out of the compost to be used as a cooking gas. So all of that were important for us to invest the negative energy positively. So we started to see the opportunities in the difficult situation we are facing. And now the farm is being visited by many people. We have about 6,000 people coming to see 
the farm and hearing the message. And we want those people to go back home and be peacemakers in their own communities. So we run a tree planting campaign. We invite people to plant trees because when we plant a tree, we believe in the future. We make the land productive. We keep the environment. But also, we learn that peace should grow from the ground and up like an olive tree. Peace cannot come just from a handshake between people. But it is a process that when the tree or when the roots go down into the ground, the tree can live for years. And of course, when we talk about peace, we talk about the inner peace. Because, and this is what Jesus talked about, spoke about. Of course, he said to his disciples, you will, be my, you will be my witnesses, you will be peacemakers. But in a land of conflict, how can we be peacemakers? But Jesus said to us, oh, if you don't have this peace in your heart, you cannot give to other people. I cannot promise my children a gift that I don't own. If I don't start by myself and have this peace in my heart, I cannot give it to other people. And other projects we are running with Women Empowerment Project in the village, um, with Muslim women, my wife doing that. We have summer camp activities, and we are having a big vision for the future, but walking on in small steps. We are walking with faith, with love and hope, like a farmer, with faith, love and hope, like a farmer who is putting his hand on the plow, the moment he does that, he is not allowed to look backwards. I always say the journey for justice will continue with faith, love, and hope in action. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, I thought it would be good for us to kind of just continue this dialogue uh, a little bit. Uh, I have just a couple of questions that I thought we could ask you. Um, but before we do, um, when we were on the farm and even just this Friday at the Justice Conference, you told a story of an incident that happened with your family a few years ago. Uh, that incident uh, shaped how you operate, and it has impacted me and has changed the way I operate. And so I was wondering if you could tell that story. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go get my glasses that I left over there so I can read the other questions. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, before, before just telling the story, I always say, you know, when we read as Christians the Sermon on the Mount in a situation that we in a normal situation, we say it's easy. We love God from all our heart and soul, and we love our neighbor like, like ourselves. But who is my neighbor in a context, in a land full of conflicts? Um, I think, you know, Jesus meant by that as a non-violent way of resistance. He didn't mean to, uh, you know, to encounter my enemy and hug him and say, let's sing a song of peace and everything will be okay. <laughs> no, but the moment we, we act differently, we act differently, we confuse 
the other. And we force the other to see us as humans. And this is what Jesus meant. Like, the moment we start to make a face to what we call the enemy, things are starting to change. And this is the story that I experienced. And without any, like, plans for me how to react or how to act. It was on a Saturday evening, almost midnight, going from the farm to Bethlehem. Uh, my wife, Jihan, and my mom, and my three children were in the car. And uh, suddenly, while we are driving up to the main road, um, soldiers, Israeli soldiers, five, six soldiers, jump in front of the car, uh, having, some of them had masks on their faces, some of them were painting their faces with, with dark color. It was very hard to see them. And they were pointing automatic guns at us with laser points. It was very difficult for me and my family. We thought this is the end of the story. They might shoot at us any time. They forced me uh, to, to leave the car, to move out of the car. You know, I took off my jacket to show that I'm not carrying anything. And they were asking me, where I'm from, what am I doing, where I'm driving to, and, and so on. I explained, we are on the farm here, and I'm driving now with my family, going to Bethlehem for the next day to be at the church service on Sunday. Then they asked me, we want to check your car. I said, no problem, you can check my car. But they said, your family must be out of the car. I said, this is something difficult because my children are sleeping. I don't want to wake them up and to see you in this city, like, you know, soldiers pointing guns at them. They will never forget this story, and they will never forget it. They forced me to move my family out. I did not want to complicate the situation because the officer was screaming at me. And I went to the car. I opened the door. They were following me. And I could see the red spots on my body, you know, from their guns. And this was the moment I didn't know why I started talking English with my children. You know, probably I wanted to let the soldiers understand the conversation. But I woke my children up and said to them, you will see Israeli soldiers carrying guns and pointing, they are pointing those guns at you. But don't be afraid. They are also people. And this sentence changed the whole equation, changed the whole conversation. Because later on, when the officer called me to, get, to give me my ID card back, he said to me, please apologize to your family. We did something wrong, you know. And this is the powerful message, like when you act differently, you are in charge, not your oppressor. And the moment you make this room for the other to see you as human, maybe those soldiers started to think, what did we do? You know? So we were threatening them, and the, the action was totally different. And this gave them a room to bring them down to their humanity. And this is what does it mean for us when we say, love your neighbor like yourself. Yeah. So good. That I, I think that's so true. I, I think we 
we have a tendency, as I said earlier, to equate the other. Our brains are wired to find the other, to make an enemy of the other. And we have this innate, built-into-us reaction to that. But when we uproot the status quo and we react to those things differently, which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus did, uh, it creates that space for humanity to rise back up. And um, it's such a powerful story. And I, 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 wanted, I wanted all of us to have the opportunity to experience that story. So today at home, how does a typical Palestinian kid grow up? What is their understanding of God as they grow up under, under uh, this sort of dynamic? Well, uh, it is very hard for children to grow up in a situation where it's always conflicts and um, checkpoints and all of that. Um, and many of them are thinking, why are we staying there if this situation is very difficult? But I always say it is very important for the children to understand this is not a normal mm. situation. You know? Even in this difficult reality, there you have a role to play. You are not just sitting and waiting or observing uh, miracles to happen, we are, we should create these miracles. You know? And it's important for the children to be empowered and to believe that they are not alone in their struggle. You know? Jesus will not leave us alone. You know? This is a very important message for our children to grow up with, to understand that we are not left alone. Yeah, not in isolation. That's a, yeah, that's a really good truth. So your daughter is here. She's 14. Yes? yes yeah. 15. So uh, when you think about what's next and you think about her generation growing up, what, what, is your, what is your hope for them? What is your guiding hope for, for that generation? Well, we hope that time will come where people um, live in peace and dignity and with love mm-hmm. um, because this is... Um, this is the future, peace and justice. Uh, and while we want them to believe that, they have to play a role in shaping the future. Um, and that's why, you know, we want the children to, you know, like to let them, to empower them, to let them think in a positive way, not just by telling them what to do, by letting them discovering their talents. Mm-hmm. To, you know, God gave us talents. I can sing, I can play music, and I want to use my talents for a better future. Mm-hmm. You know, so I am a player in this game. I'm not just sitting down and waiting. And when the children, and this is what we are focusing on, on the summer camp activities we do in the summer with children, when the children discover their talents, automatically they will focus on their positives. Mm-hmm. And they will start believing in themselves. They will not just focus on the empty part of the glass of water. Let us focus on the positives. And when they focus on the positives, they start believing, I am able to shape my future. That's good. Well, just with the last few moments that we have, I, I, I want to ask you. So as the Western church, of which we are just a representative portion, what, what would be the message that you would have for the Western church? What, what should we think? How should we feel? How should we process the conflict that you live under each day? Uh, well, we want you to pray for us. Very important to pray. There are 
many people who are suffering under that situation. Um, always when I say conflicts, there are people that are suffering. Mm -hmm. Which side is not, doesn't matter because people are suffering. And um, we want also the people to believe that peace and justice are possible. Mm -hmm. And we need to work together to achieve this peace and justice for all. Um, we want you also to come and see, to come and visit us, because in a situation where we are isolated, you know, difficult, uh, difficulties on daily basis, sometimes we feel, where are we? Why, why us? Where is God in, in, this, in the middle of this situation? But we discover God through prayers. You know, we discover God that He is beside us. And even He is carrying us. And He is not giving us more than we can carry. You know, our cross, we have to carry our cross. But to carry our cross and follow Jesus. Um, and this is important for us that we are one in the Spirit. We are one in Christ. And whatever happens here maybe affects something else across the globe. And that's why we need to work together and pray together for peace and justice in the Holy Land. That's beautiful. Uh, would you thank uh, Dawood for being here? Thank you so much. So, I, I, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask Dawood to pray uh, for, for us as we uh, end our time together. I'm going to ask him to pray in Arabic, and um, I'll translate. No, just joking. Uh, but I, I would like you to, to pray for us. Uh, pray for, uh, pray in your in your native tongue. So would you pray for us? Ya Rabbi Yassua, nashkurak ala hadi al-lahadat illi inti ma'ana fiha. Nashkurak ya Rabbi ala hadi al-kanisa, ala al-nas al-mawjudin fi hai al-kanisa. Natlub binnak ya Rabbi an tubarikhum jami'an wa tubarikna wa taquduna ila al-tariq, ila tariq al-khalas. Nashkurak ya Rabbi lanak a'taytana al-hikma أعطينا المحبة أن نحب بعضنا البعض وأن نكون مع بعضنا البعض وأن نصلي من أجل بعضنا البعض نطلب منك أن تباركنا وتقودنا وترشدنا من الآن وإلى أبد الآبدين نطلب هذا باسم من أحبنا وأسلم نفسه من أجلنا ربنا يسوع المسيح له المجد والإكرام من الآن وإلى الأبد آمين آمين So the psalmist says the day will come when the God of all nations will bring his people together before him and we will all praise him, worship him in peace. Men and women from every nation, every tribe, every language, every culture. And um, I'm, I'm glad you guys were here today and, I, and I'm honored that Daoud and his daughter would spend the morning with us. Thank you so much. And here's the deal, you know, it's not lost on me, and hopefully it's not lost on you, that the Prince of Peace was born in a city. Jesus walked the land, uh, and the church was born in that land, and it's a land of conflict. How that must break God's heart. It's broken mine. 
And there's a lot of really good things happening in the church in the West Bank. When we were there in February, we had a chance to meet with, we met with Daoud and his brother up on the farm. And we also met with uh, uh, some other folks who are doing great things with the church. Uh, specifically, I think of um, uh, Munter Isaac. Munter is a pastor, a theologian. He just got his PhD from Oxford, a brilliant guy who's leading the church in Bethlehem. And um, we had a meeting with him and he was telling us about their struggles and what was happening on the ground there. And after the meeting, I stayed back a little while just to talk to Munter. I said, um, what, what would you like me to, what would you like uh, me to tell the church when I go back? Not just our church, but any, any op- church I have an opportunity to talk to about this. What do, you, what do you want me to tell them? He said, tell them don't forget us. And I said, I, I won't. So, here's the deal, I'm going back, and uh, I'm going to bring as many people as I can, to, so we can understand both sides of the story. It's really just a matter of ignorance for us in the West. So, uh, we're committed to, uh, to tell us, we're committed to Daoud and his family, and to the church in, in the West Bank. We're committed to being pro-Israel, pro Palestinian pro-peace. And the thing is, we can learn, you know, just being with Daoud a couple times and and hearing his story and and how they're living in a land of conflict, we can bring that home to our own lives. How do we deal with our own families in conflict, our friends, our neighbors, the people around us, the people who are different? How do we we respond differently to break the status quo? That's what the church is called to do, to live in the way of Jesus. And that's what we're going to try to do our best here. So uh, again, I'm just honored that Daoud would be with us. Uh, I look forward to seeing him again in in Palestine. So thanks for being here. Come back next week. We're going to continue in the series. We're going to look at one of the most famous psalms in the scriptures. Uh, You can guess which one it is. I'm not going to tell you. You should be surprised. But uh, we're going to take a look at that next week and figure out, you know, what we can learn about God and ourselves in that, that famous psalm, okay? In the meantime, have a great week. Let me pray for us. And now, Father, I pray that as we, as we leave this place, the church, that we would not forget that your church is represented by every nation and language and culture and race. May we remember our brothers and sisters in Palestine uh, and the church there and Daoud and his family and Munter Isaac and uh, Samuel Wad and all those believers who are doing wonderful things for the kingdom in, in a very difficult place. May they today have a great sense of your presence and give them the strength to continue to walk in the way of Jesus. And may we learn from them how to live our lives even here in our context. So now may your hand of grace and peace rest on your church, both here and around the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.